welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. This is the third part of a five-week sermon series on prayer, and we are looking at the prayers of the Bible. And today we're looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer. And this is a very common prayer that many of us maybe learned as a child, and uh, you might even say it each and every day. But I think what we want to see here, this prayer, and the main purpose of this is that this is a model prayer that it's not necessary that we're just to go through every day and just to quote these exact words. It's a model for us as believers that we walk through this and see here's how you shape your prayer life. Because one of the issues for us Many, many times when we talk about prayer and we think about prayer, we're wondering, well, how do we pray? And this scripture passage is going to answer that question here this morning. This is going to teach us how we should pray. You know, prayer, what we're about to see here, prayer is something that ultimately is between us and the Lord. And when it comes down to it, it's a private time that we spend with the Lord and we come to Him recognizing that He is God and we are utterly desperate for Him in all areas of our life. When we want to experience God, it's going to come through our prayer life. And maybe you're here this morning and you just don't feel very close to God. And I think this passage here is going to reveal to us the clues to how to unlock a deep spiritual uh, closeness that you and I can experience with the Lord. So I'm going to break this down into three sections. The first part is going to present what we would call the problem. And the problem would be is why Jesus needed to teach on this because there was this uh, opposing view called the hypocrites that was out there then. And Jesus is going to teach us what the hypocrites do. Then He's going to give us the model prayer. And then at the very end, He's going to circle back around. He's going to address the issue and the danger of having an unforgiving spirit when you go to the Lord in prayer. So that's how we're going to read this in three different sections here. So you're in your New Testament book of Matthew chapter 6. And this prayer actually fits in with what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So this is a very famous sermon of Jesus. And right in the middle of it, he's teaching us how we should pray. So Matthew 6, 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You know, that in many ways is kind of like, you ever turn on the news and you've, you've got um, you know, one side, uh, the Republicans and the people on the right wing, they're always warning you about the liberals over there. You know, watch out for the liberals. And they always do, are described as they. They're coming after you. They're going to do this. And then if you're on the left, on the political left, you have to watch out for the MAGA Republicans. I mean, they're over here and they're the MAGA Mega is just going to come grab you and they're going to do this. To, I mean, and, and you have these opposing sides and they each refer to each other as they. Th- these people over there. We, they might not even have a name, but you just, they're, they're th- those people over there. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's, these people are the hypocrites. And the hypocrites would be just religious leaders. It could be the Pharisees, but it could be anybody who wanted to be Pharisee, anybody who wanted to be a part of the, um, uh, uh, to be seen for prayer. So he's going to make a contrast here 
of what our prayer life is going to look like. And he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So back in Bible times, I don't think people really do this today like this, but in Bible times, you wanted to be seen praying. You wanted to be seen as a righteous, godly man. So you would go and stand on the street corner out here at Harrodsburg Road in Pasadena, that street corner right there. You'd raise your hands up high and you just want to pray to the Lord. And you want everyone to see you as they drive by, as they walk by. In Bible times, they rode their donkey next by you. There you are crying out to God. And you want them to think, wow, what a religious, godly man. And Jesus says, if you go out there on Harrisburg Road in Pasadena and you do that, and whatever that person who rides their donkey by, and whatever they think, wow, he's a, God, he's a religious man. That's your answer to prayer. Because God's not going to answer that prayer. God's not there. That doesn't impress the Lord. Your answer to your prayer is whatever that man who drove by thought about you. And that's all you're going to get. That's your reward. So that's what Jesus is warning. It's about this, uh, this attitude of being seen. The, to impress other people. Our prayer life is not to uh, impress other folks whatsoever. Instead, here is what we are to have a prayer life like. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying, you want to have a prayer life? You need to make sure you lock, go in your room. Shut the door, lock the door, close the window. The only audience of your prayer life is the Lord. There's no one else. You're doing this in secret. Only God needs to know. You're not there to impress everybody, anyone else. The only person you're trying to impress is the Lord. And He's not impressed. So you just need to remove all of uh, all the th uh, thoughts about how impressive you are, it's total isolation and a total focus on the Lord. It's something, he uses the word secret there. This is something you do with God. It does not involve anyone else. And he's telling us here, this, this is, will be, he says at the very end of that, and, and your father who sees in secret, will reward you. So you're the reward of a prayer life is an answer to those prayers. So the way to get the answer is actually in being alone with God, not in the presence of anyone else, not to be seen. It's an attitude is I'm doing this solely for the Lord. So very practical sense for us. You want to pray when you're at the house alone, when you're at the dorm alone, when you're, uh, you know, maybe you're in the car by yourself, you're driving down the road in a very practical way. You think about it. You're driving around Lexington and you're, there's a lot of traffic everywhere and you're in your car. You maybe got a long 20, 30, 40 minute commute every day. That is your time alone with God, especially if you're in the car by yourself. No one else is there with you. Instead of listening to the radio, listening to podcasts, listening to music, listening to news talk, 
you are saying, I'm going to turn all that stuff off and I'm going to listen and pray to the Lord. You don't want to close your eyes, but you want to open your eyes while you're driving, obviously praying down the road. And that is your alone time with God. You're using your time when you are by yourself to spend with the Lord. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's looking for people who are alone and spending that time alone. So you have to change your perspective on Lexington's traffic. So when, you, when you're driving down Nicholas Hill Road especially, and you're stuck at the red light, instead of complaining and cussing about it, say, Lord, thank you so much for all these red lights, because it allows me more time with you. Thank you for these long commutes and traffic putt-putting 10 miles an hour down the road, because I get to be just in the vehicle with more time with my Lord. And spending time. So you have to, you know, all of us live super and ultra busy lives. So what we have to do, we have to look for time. And one of the best times is in our car of turning off everything, especially when you're alone, and spending that time with the Lord. That is your secret quiet time. I want to tell you, you start doing that when you're by yourself in the car instead of listening to stuff, that will change your spiritual life. That's, you've already got the time. The time's already there. You're in the car. But you're giving that and devoting that time to the Lord. That is your prayer time. So Jesus is telling us that's where you get your reward. It's your time alone with God. Verse 7. And when you pray, so now he's about to teach us about uh, uh, what not to do. Don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine that they'll be heard with their many words. Long, lengthy prayers do not impress God. He's not impressive. He's not impressed to see how many sentences we can say to Him. He's not more impressed. Say you spent today 35 minutes in prayer, and yesterday you spent 17 minutes in prayer. God's not going to look at you and say, well, it's Sunday, and you spent an extra 18 minutes in prayer and that's a 51% increase. Therefore, I'm going to now answer your prayers. That's not how the Lord works. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at you thinking, hey, this guy, he has a devotion solely to me. He's not there to babble on and just make it very wordy. So Jesus is saying, it's not about the words. It's not about how many words you can say. Verse 8, don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Meaning, God already knows all of our needs. He knows our heartaches. He knows our pain. He knows our disappointment. He knows our bills we need to pay. He knows the desires of our hearts. That's what Psalm 37 verse 4 tells us. So we come to the Lord. He's not looking for us. To, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for the reminder. The Lord knows. He's looking for us to have a passion and a desire for Him. And Jesus says the example for us to do that is private one-on-one time with God that no one knows about. No one in your house knows you do it. If you keep a prayer journal, you go hide it so no one finds it. Because no one else but the Lord needs to know. It's not for anyone but Him. Every and Every one of us here needs to have a quiet time, an alone time, a secret time daily with God. There's no excuse not to do that. And no one else needs to know about it except for the Lord. You start doing that, I promise you, that will change your life. 
you will start to see the word reward is used here. The reward is you feel close to God and you begin to see answers to prayer. And all of a sudden, God starts doing miraculous things in your life. And I want to tell you, the most easy, practical thing to do, especially if you have a bunch of children at home and you live in like a dorm and you live in a busy, chaotic place and you're on the go all the time, your car and traffic is a blessing. It is a blessing. You just have to view it that way. Because, I mean, you, you look at our household. We wake up, bam, 5 o'clock, 5.01, the alarm clock goes off. And it's just, it can easily just keep going. And some of you, one time, after school, activities at college, school stuff, homework, by the time you crash at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, it's challenging. You have to look say, Lord, where is my time at? And for, and for some of us, it's just in the time of transitions when we're going somewhere, when we're moving from here to there. That is time you begin to cherish with the Lord. A lunch break. A, a, a time that you have a, you have a window where you can spend time alone, privately. You arrive somewhere early. And instead of going in early, you sit in the parking lot and you pray in your car. That's... That's what it means to make time for God. Any and every opportunity. You arrive home, and you know if you're about to walk in the door, you're going to get mobbed. But instead of doing that, you sit in the driveway by yourself, alone, in the dark, with God in the car. You haven't walked in the house because you know when you walk in the house, it's over. That's how you make time with God when you live an ultra-busy life. And Jesus is telling us, you don't tell anybody you're doing it. You just do it. It's between you and the Lord. Keep going here. Now we're got to get into the model prayer. Jesus is going to teach us how we are going to have develop our prayer life. And this is, this is not just something we memorize and we just repeat. I'll give a perfect example of that. Of what not to do in your prayer life. One time I was at a church. It was not this church. Because we don't want to be critical of our deacons that just served our Lord's Supper. But I was in a church in the past, and it was time for the offertory prayer. So Mr. Deacons came up on the stage, and he said a prayer. Now, we're supposed to be praying an offertory prayer that God brings boatloads of money in those offering plates. But that is not what this gentleman prayed. We bowed our head, and he started praying, and he blessed our food. Now, there was no meal after church that day. There wasn't a church picnic later on. There wasn't anything. I mean, we were like three hours from it. was the early service. We had a long time till the next meal. So he starts praying for the food. We're talking about thanking the Lord for our food and that we return thanks and help us nourish our bodies. He, he's giving the, the offering or the, the, um, the, the blessing food prayer. It was lit. I'm sitting there and I'm on the front pew and I'm listening to this guy. And I kind of peeked up looking around. It's like, does anybody hear what the gentleman's saying? We, it's like you put a CD instead of track one, which track one was blessing, or track one was offering, he hit track two, which was blessing. He's, it's auto prayer. He literally said the wrong prayer. He had been praying so long in his life. He just he got confused and began to... And what was amazing about it, no one seemed to even notice. No one like started snickering and said, hey, buddy... Uh, Wrong, wrong prayer. That you came out wrong. It just went on by. So I thought about when I went up and preached, I say something, but I realized nobody missed it. We'll just let this one slide. 
And he never apologized. This day, he still didn't know. I even went back and lived, watched the video, and still, I just wondered, did I hear that right? I was right. It was the blessing instead of the offering. And I think a lot of times, what we're about to see here, if we find ourselves, if our prayer life is just repeating this prayer, you've missed the Lord's Prayer. This is a model that Jesus gives us. Our prayer life is when we're alone with God and we tell God how great He is. We tell God how we, uh, these things here, we go through, how we long and seek after Him. Prayer is a condition of our heart. God reads our heart. He says, okay, what does this guy want? What does this girl really desire? Prayer reveals our deepest desire. And if you don't have any desire, just like if you, I think I hate to use the analogy, say you're dating someone. You know, say you're, you're dating someone and you've always seen to find yourself on group dates with other friends, but you really don't get to know people really that well on a group date because you're always talking among a bunch of people and half people you don't really like, but you just have to do it because that's what you do. And you, you want to go on a one-on-one date so you can talk to this person and get to know them better. That's what prayer is like with the Lord. God's saying, get rid of all these distractions, all these other things that are going on, and He wants you. He wants your desire for the Lord. Here it is. This is our model prayer. Jesus tells us, verse 9, Matthew 6, 9, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Stop right there, because that's the first section. Those first two verses are the first section. And what the Lord teaches us about this is three things. The first section, verses 9 and 10, are about God. That's what the prayer is about. And He says here, how do we start out? We start out by addressing His name. The name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, is a powerful name. We don't use it casually. The third commandment says, Thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. It's wrong for us to use the Lord's name wrongly. Remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, in the name of Jesus, people were saved. Literally, you could say the name of Jesus and people would fall under conviction and powerful things would happen. That's what people, that's what the apostles were preaching in. And remember when Moses was met the God at the burning bush and he had to take off his sandals because it was holy ground when God was calling Moses? Moses asked us, what's your name? When I go see Pharaoh and he says, who are you? What's your name? It says, my name. I don't have a name like you have a name. I am who I am. Like, my name is I am. I don't have a common name. You don't just call me. I'm the Lord. I am, I am, I am. That's what His name is. Meaning, He's, he's always existed. He always will exist. And the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus, is a powerful name. So we start our prayer saying, honoring the Lord's name. When you're, when you're in your car, when you're sitting in the parking lot, you're, you're saying, Lord, you have a great name. And then we pray for God's kingdom in verse 10. Meaning we recognize as great as earth is, it is not our ultimate and our final home. We live in a fallen world with imperfect people and sad things that happen all the time. But God's kingdom is coming. I preached on this a few weeks ago about heaven. 
our ultimate home is actually in heaven. It's where we're headed. So we are reminding the Lord. We're saying, Lord, as great as the earth is, this is not my home. My home is your kingdom. And that is your will. And knowing that, do you ever talk about, you ever pray about the Lord's will? You want God's will for your life. You want God's will who you marry. You want God's will for where you work. I mean, every decision. You want God's will where your children go to school. And you want God's will in your marriage. You want God's will, what church you go to. You always seek after the Lord's will. What he says here in verse, Jesus says in verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning in heaven, God's will is always done. But here on earth, because we live in sin, and there's there's fallen, there's brokenness all around us, God's will is not always done. And our prayer life helps us remind ourselves that, you know, God, we want your will, not this selfishness that we all struggle with. Prayer is realizing. It's starting out, says, Lord, it's not about me. It's all about you. So our prayer life should begin not by us just going to the Lord with a laundry list of all these things. All these things we need paid. We have these needs. We have health concerns. You have issues. We don't just lay all those out to the Lord. We start out by honoring the Lord. Then the prayer shifts. And in many ways, it starts to become about ourselves. But even though it's about ourselves, it's still about the Lord. So look at these last three verses here of the Lord's Prayer. Verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debitors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It says here, give us today our daily bread. Now, this might be the only place where we see Jesus telling, reminding us that we do need to ask for food. You know, obviously it takes food for us to live, to stay alive. You have to eat. It won't be long to you all here and we'll all be eating lunch very soon. It's right around the corner. And it says daily bread. Do you know why it says daily bread? Because daily Jesus was expecting his people, his followers, us as believers, to daily pray. Think about it. When you say a blessing, you don't say a blessing for a week. You don't say, well, I did my meal prep this whole week, so I'm just going to go ahead and bless it now, and they'll just cover it for this entire week. No, your prayer life is daily. You are coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I thank you for this need. I thank you for this food. But to remember about bread, though. Jesus spoke to us about bread. Jesus told us that man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So, even though we're talking about physical bread here, there's still daily bread, which is the Word of God. That means we're not just thanking the Lord for our physical food, but we thank the Lord for Him daily giving us His Word, that we are in God's Word. And it says in verse 12, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our, de- our debitors. Meaning, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we need to be, put things in perspective. Saying, Lord, I am forgiven, but I, because you have forgiven me. And what we just remembered here with the Lord's Supper, I must, I have to forgive other people who have sinned against me, who have hurt me. And that's something in our spiritual life that if we are harboring unforgiveness, it will hinder our prayers. Because Jesus is looking at us, and this is the issue. Actually, it comes back to the third section of today's, at the very end of the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus comes back around to and addresses this about forgiveness. If we refuse to forgive other people, 
then God is not going to answer our prayer. He's not going to forgive us. And a lot of times in our life, in your prayer life, when you begin praying and you're spending time with the Lord, one of the things He starts bringing up is people you need to ask for forgiveness from. You need to text and apologize. You need to say, hey, I shouldn't have said that. I lost my temper. I took advantage of you. That was wrong. And some of those things, you start spending time in prayer, God will bring those back up from the past, from years ago. In fact, that happened to Miss Sherry Austin since she's down at Children's Church. I can talk about her right now. This past week, she bumped into somebody, you know, Sherry's a nurse, that she had been about three years ago, back when she was at Baptist Health. Now she's at the VA when she was working there at Baptist. They had a disagreement, we'll just say to say, with one of her fellow co-workers, and some uh, words were shared. This lady told her some stuff. They weren't appropriate things. And it obviously surprised her. And you know, when people start talking that way, you have people butting heads. They, they part their ways and they aren't friends anymore. And they don't talk. Well, these two ladies bumped into each other this week unexpectedly. And that lady came up. And you know, when you see somebody that you've had a run-in in the past from unexpectedly in the past, that lady came up and apologized. Now, this was nearly three years ago. She had, she had forgotten about it, but you, you had forgotten about it until you see that person again. Then you're re-reminded of them. God brings it up. That's what God does to us. And this is a believer. These, were, these are both Christians. Believers in Jesus. Both at church this morning. God brings to our attention in our prayer life that when even people we have hurt, even folks we have sinned against, even things that we have done wrong maybe months or even years ago, He won't let that slide. You go back and say, I hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have done that. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We forgive other people, and therefore the Lord has forgiven us unforgiveness it is so dangerous to our prayer life because it builds a wall between us and the lord why why would the lord forgive us freely extend us eternal salvation yet we refuse to forgive our fellow man or friend or anyone anyone in our life how can god in heaven forgive me yet i won't forgive you think how foolish that is and it doesn't matter what they've done. Because Jesus Christ is our example. He has, he has and will forgive us of any sin. And He's extended that forgiveness so we can be saved. Yet we harbor bitterness and resentment and hatred and anger towards other people. We're doing that. You're doing that. It destroys your prayer life. You will not feel close to God you will not feel answers. I want to tell you this, if you're alone with God, He just keeps bringing it up to your mind over and over. So I can't even get away from this. I go in my prayer life and all He wants me to do is offer apologies to other people because that's the issue. That's the sin that needs to be released and forgiven. That's what He's talking about here. And then in verse 13, He says, Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask the Lord to protect us. So notice here, we see that Jesus is a fully aware of the dangers of the devil. 
The devil wants to destroy us spiritually. And we ask for God, says, Lord, when I'm faced with temptation, I need you to help me provide a way out. Help me overcome this. Help me not yield to this. So these last three verses here, Jesus is speaking to us about our daily bread. He's speaking to us about forgiving other people. And he's speaking to us about not, uh, not giving in to temptation. First part of the prayer life is about God. The second one is about us. But then this whole section about us, it's in many ways, is still intertwined with the Lord. Now, notice what's not. Jesus isn't telling us. First of all, He didn't tell us to pray for our health or pray for our doctor's appointment or pray for her grandma. There's no intercessory prayer for other people. A condition of prayer is us in total reverence with the Lord. God knows all our needs. He just told us that here at the beginning. He says in verse 8, your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Like, you don't have to remind him. It's not like we have to be brought to his attention. Oh, I forgot about that. I'm glad you brought that up. I know you need help in that area. I know that, that healing needs to, needs to take place. God is looking for us in our prayer life to have a total desire for Him. Now, the last section of this message here, these last two verses, and you know what Jesus comes back around to? Forgiveness. He won't let this go away because He just gave a model prayer. And I want to tell you, this model prayer is a... Remember, it's not for us to just try to just say where we hit play on the track and we can quote every single word. It's It's a generalized statement that... Uh, It's a form for us to use. We should have freedom in our prayer life that we can freely pray anything to the Lord, but this is the standard He wants us to give us. For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. So, you want to receive forgiveness from the Lord? You go and forgive other people. But then He says in verse 15, but if you don't forgive other people, if if you don't forgive other people, Your Father will not forgive your offenses. There are many people who are eat up by bitterness. They are so angry. They are living in the past and they are carrying around hurt things that happened in the past. And they're dragging it with them day after day after day. And Jesus is looking at them. Why are you carrying this burden? Why are you carrying this unforgiveness? Why are you dragging this mess from yesteryear with you? You have to forgive. You cannot go back in the past. You can't redo things. You forgive other people and you move on. And the Lord releases you when you do that. A burden is lifted. And Jesus is telling us there's a lot of folks who are carrying this burden of unforgiveness because they will not forgive other people. And the thing about, the thing about unforgiveness is it's actually true. You were probably hurt. You were a victim. Someone did damage to you. And it was wrong. And it was sinful. But you, there's nothing you can do. You can't go back in time. What else are you going to do? All you can do is forgive them. And move on. Otherwise, you will drag it with you all the way into eternity. And it's a burden in our prayer life. And Jesus is telling us that is not for us. That there is a wall that is built with unforgiveness. 
And Jesus is saying, the way to see spiritual breakthrough in your prayer life and closeness to the Lord is to learn to forgive one another. And that fits so perfect with our day 15 of our prayer time today. That verse I read about learning to learn brotherly love. Learning to forgive other people. Even people who you don't like and have hurt you in the past. We are called and commanded by the Lord to forgive them. This morning, you want to be able to ask yourself, Lord, is there areas of my life that I refuse to forgive? I want to tell you, in church business, I've seen it too much. Have you ever met somebody who's dropped out of church? Who tells that, I don't go to church, as a bunch of hypocrites. I went to church and I got hurt. Oh, those folks there, they're all fake. And they, they claim they love Jesus, but then they live a different way. Or these church people did this to me. And they start giving excuses. When you meet someone that talks like that, they are caring. They are literally caring with them. You can see them dragging this, this big pile of unforgiveness. And they likely were hurt. When someone tells you they don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites and everybody's fake there, you should look at them and say, you need to learn to forgive. You are literally carrying baggage with you. Because anywhere you go, we are in a sinful, fallen world. And if, if it's not the United States, we'll be on the other side of the world, somewhere in Asia. And there will be people at church over there in Asia, somewhere, that are hurting one another. That are, that are sinning and carrying unforgiveness. The human condition of sin, it exists among all 7.3 billion people on earth. There's nowhere to get away from it. And Jesus is telling us, if you, if you want your Father to forgive you, and you want to experience a closeness to God in your secret room, He's going to keep, and this is what He does to me, and He will do it to you. You start deepening your prayer life. This issue of unforgiveness, it keeps coming back up over and over and over again. I have received apology letters People have hand-wrote me apology letters that showed up in the mail out of the blue of stuff that happened years ago asking for my forgiveness. And I had totally forgotten about it. And they remembered it. They even sent their apology that The Lord kept bringing it to me. They had a burden that they needed it to be released. And when you experience the power of forgiveness... Your prayers, all of a sudden, Jesus used the word reward. They are rewarded. God God begins opening doors in your life. You will see answers to prayer and a closeness to the Lord you've never experienced. So this morning, we look at this passage. Jesus tells us, in summary, three things here. He says, you need to have a secret life. And it's not a secret life on your phone about looking at porn. The secret life you need to have is with God in your car, in your dorm, and in your room that no one knows about. It's between you and the Lord. You keep a prayer journal and it's totally hidden. That your secret life is between you and the Lord. The second thing he tells us here is you need to have a, a model. You need, if you, don't, you need to remember when you go to pray, it's not praying for every surgery coming up. To start with, you are praising the the Lord. God, you are a great God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you know my needs. And I have daily, there's daily food I need. That means because he's expecting you daily to come to him. 
Lord, I've got forgiveness. I don't want to fall into temptation. That model prayer is how we pray. And then thirdly, the issue of unforgiveness and forgiving others. God will pound on that in your prayer life. Because He will bring things to mind that you need to quit carrying the baggage of unforgiveness that's hindering your prayer life. And remember, the Lord says, I'm not going to forgive you if you refuse to forgive other, other people. Because the Lord has extended forgiveness to all of us. We have to forgive. Now, when you forgive someone else, that doesn't mean everything is perfect again and it's back to normal. You might not talk to them again. The relationship might be broken forever. But the forgiveness has been extended. You have asked, and you don't know how they're even going to respond. All you can do is say, I am sorry, will you forgive me? What I did was wrong. I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. And you've taken it off your chest. Then the ball's in their court. Now you, have, you can't control how they respond. But all you can do is release it to the Lord and that person. Jesus tells us, you start doing these things, your devotion, your closeness to God will go through the roof and you will receive a reward, he says. Your Father will see what you do in secret in verse 6 and reward you. And that reward is answered prayer. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer as a model for us to see spiritual transformation. There is no reason all of us here in this sanctuary are not daily practicing this, what Jesus is telling us. This is the model prayer from Jesus Himself how we should be praying to God. And we take these words and say, God, I want to go apply this. There's, I want to take Your form that You've given and run it through my context and my life and honor You with my life. You know, the Bible here talks about forgiveness. Jesus Christ extends forgiveness to all of us. If you've never been saved, you know, lately in our service, we've seen a lot of folks saved. If you've never been saved before, what you do is, I'm about to give an opportunity. Walk down this aisle, take mine or Zach's hand, and you say, I want to get saved. I want to experience Jesus' forgiveness. We have baptism in our service in three and a half weeks. It's on Wednesday night, um, October 11th, in Revival. You'll get baptized right there. And if you want to get baptized, you walk this aisle in a couple of minutes, and you take my hand. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to rejoice for your decision, and then you'll get baptized. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. Beecher, you and Danielle, y'all come on up here. We're going to have our invitation. Zach, you come on up here too. I'm going to be standing right front. You respond. You come and say, I want to get saved. I want to join this church. I want to get baptized. This is our time. We respond to God. We publicly respond to God. You privately in your room, you pray to God. Or in your car, wherever you're at, you're privately with God. But publicly, we're bold to be followers of Jesus.